This is an ABC podcast. Good morning. This is the Friday Sporting Edition of Pacific Beat on ABC Radio Australia. Today on the show, the Fiji Pearls and Tonga Tala prepare for a Pacific showdown to open the Netball World Cup. Meanwhile, Papua New Guinea's men's T20 cricket team close in on a World Cup qualification of their own. We're in a really good position. We've got a really strong net run rate. We're fourth and four, so even if we lost our last two games, I think we're, um, yeah, look, I think our net run rate's going to hold us up. And rugby league great Marcus Bayer reflects on his time with the Melbourne Storm ahead of the club's 25th birthday celebration. A lot of experts in rugby league and ex-players who just finished, you know, said, oh, you know, Melbourne Storm was a, was a team of, of, of the recent great players and for us, for us, we didn't care about that. We'll also give you an update of all the diplomatic visits to the region. I'm Kyle Evans. Thanks for joining me. You're listening to Pacific Beat on ABC Radio Australia. But first, for the first time in close to a decade, Manu Samoa has cracked the top 10 of the World Rugby Men's Rankings. Their thrilling two-point win over Japan in the first round of the Pacific Nations Cup last week saw them leapfrog leapfrog back into the upper echelon for the first time since 2015. They'll face another big challenge tomorrow when the team hosts the Flying Fijians in Samoa, but head coach Selala Mapasua told the ABC's Aggie Tupo they've already passed the first test. It was probably one of the most, I don't want to say young team, but inexperienced test teams that we fielded. It was, it was a huge test. So to see them um, come through, uh, it wasn't it wasn't the prettiest game to watch, but I think the, the, the grit and determination that they showed to get the win, which was uh, the most important thing, was was really pleasing to see. And it definitely answered, answered a few questions for myself and the coaching staff. I watched the game and, and definitely, like you say, wasn't the prettiest game, but you guys got that win. <laughs> but, you know, you got the likes of debutant like Christian Lealee Funnel, right? I mean, I saw that, that third conversion pretty much sort of sealed the deal for you guys. I, I would say maybe less than the 20 minutes you had to go. What was that like watching that? Christian's a world-class player. It was, it was awesome to see. I was thing I was more impressed, of, impressed with was just his game management, doing it on, on, on the test stage, and, and he was really calm and made great decisions, and, and his management of, of the tight game was, was one of the key takeaways that we were able to take away from the game. So you know, it's, it's, it's handy having, having someone uh, with, with the caliber of goal-kicking that Christian does, and um, no, I, was, I, was, I was very pleased to see that ball go through the first. Selal, I want to ask how you're feeling because this is, I would say, really good news because I've seen it come uh, out on some news articles, the fact that your team now has made top 10 in the world rankings. I mean, how are you feeling and do you believe you are able to improve even on those rankings? It's nice. It's nice to see. It's it's awesome recognition for um, all the work that that everyone has done that's been involved with with, with, with Monsamo and, and you know, it, I'm hoping it opens up a few more doors for us. In, in the same breath, you know, um, not, we're not in this for the rankings, and, and it's, it's it's nice to be recognised. But at the same time, you know, we 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 still know we got a, a lot of work to do, and, and the, the potential of the side is is is, is what really excites me. We, we can get a whole lot better, which is which is um, we, we, which is pretty awesome. Yeah, I love that. What does the schedule look like at the moment, though, for you guys? So we've got Fiji this weekend, which is a massive game for us. Um, it's our first 
home game uh, in, in Samoa in four years. Um, so, so we're looking forward to that. Then next week we host uh, Tonga. Um, he got a day. He comes uh, uh, comes to our shores next week, and then um, post that we've got a we've got a week off before we um, head up to France. We, we've got a game against the Barbarians on uh, August the 18th as part of our warm-up fixtures, followed by playing uh, Ireland, who's the number one ranked team in the world at the moment. So they're our last game on August the 26th, and then we're basically in, in, into the World Cup after that. Wow, sounding very busy there, say Lala. Uh, finally, <laughs> finally want to ask, I mean, you know, when you look at everything, uh, being the coach, future of Mansamoa, where are you wanting to see the team at? Great question. <laughs> I think I, I, just want, I just want this uh, this team to fulfil its potential um, or even get, get close to it. And, and if, for me, I, I'd love to get the one Samoa to a position where every Samoan kid playing rugby in the, uh, across the globe, that's their first choice team. And someone that's a team that they want to aspire to be um, be a part of and, and being courageous enough to um, to do what we haven't done to, you know, to, to, to push the, the limits on this team. We have so many amazing Samoan rugby players uh, playing around the world and different teams so I really love this this, this team to be um, that first choice and, and also just inspire and, and bring hope to, to our Samoa people around the world Manu Samoa head coach Selala Mapasua speaking to the ABC's Aggie Tupo ahead of his side's clash with Fiji in the second round of the Pacific Nations Cup tomorrow the Akali Tahi meanwhile will face the Japanese national side in Japan we wish them the best of luck as well Well, it will be a Pacific showdown later today when the Fiji Pearls and the Tongatala meet in the opening round of the Netball World Cup in Cape Town. The match will mark the first World Cup appearance for the Tala, who have enjoyed a rapid climb up the world rankings following three straight tournament wins in a row. The Pearls, meanwhile, have no intention of being easy beats after going winless at their last World Cup appearance in 2019. ABC journalist Marion Kupu has followed the rise of the Tala closely, having formerly represented Tonga as a player herself. She's in South Africa at the moment now, covering the historic occasion, and she joins me on the line. Marion, welcome. Thank you very much for having me. Not a problem. I've got to say, Marion, Cape Town's actually uh, on my short list of, uh, of places to visit. What's, uh, what's the atmosphere like on the ground? Well, over here in Cape Town, um, first of all, the weather, it's 16 degree and dropping to a 14 degree soon. Um, as you may have been aware of ge- geographically, we're right beside the sea. So I'm guessing that's where the nice breeze um, <laughs> weather is coming from. Here at the, on the ground, um, earlier today, I've noticed uh, more and more uh, Africans wearing um, highlight orange, which is uh, presumably more security um, uh, uh, recruiting um, just for this event. Um, we were also told today at a press conference today that um, um, they have doubled the security just for the safety of uh, the people that are uh, attending this uh, World Cup, as this is the first time ever for South Africa to host a Netball World Cup. And um, 
Um, I'm safe to say that uh, apparently Cape Town is the most uh, safetyest um, city here in South Africa. Oh, there you go. I had no idea about that. I do. It's a it's a beautiful city. I've uh, I've seen pictures, and luckily, uh, netball is obviously an, an indoor sport. So if the weather does turn bad, uh, they've got that one that one covered. Now I know Tonga and Fiji. They've played a, a few warm up matches already. How are they looking out on court? Um, so on Tuesday, uh, the Tongan Dala had a training session warm-up uh, match with Jamaica. And uh, some of the teams, they allowed the media to attend just to take footage and uh, pictures. And most of the teams, um, most of the 16 teams do not allow the media during the training, which is um, obviously understandable. They need uh, full concentration and also maybe a secret of style and the way they play um, not to be exposed and um, and, and Tongandala and Jamaica did close um, the the media the the training to the media on on uh, Tuesday but I'm, I'm I'm pretty sure the girls are putting on their full on energy into this training and also looking forward to their first match uh, tomorrow um, here in Cape Town as you may be aware the time now here is uh <laughs> quarter past nine thursday so tomorrow morning at 8 a.m um friday here in cape time that's when they face off with fiji and it's it's going to be a heck of a match and and just just on tonga and uh, and fiji now they obviously are in the same pool um they share a pool with zimbabwe and Australia. Can you tell us how does the uh, the format work? Will the top two teams go through to the knockout stage? Um, actually, um, it's going to be uh, a, a four-stage uh, round. So the first stage will be, of course, a knocking out from the, the pools, which is, like you mentioned, Australia, Tonga, Zimbabwe, and Fiji. And uh, the first and second and third from group A or from that pool, we're going to the to the next stage, um, which we, we will be naming it group uh, F. And also with uh, group G, which is the other pools of first, second and third. So the top three teams, we're going to stage two and the bottom one or the one that won't be making it to the top three will be going to group E. Um, definitely the group E won't be vying for, vying for uh, the, quali- the quarterfinals and or the semifinals. Having said that, um, the second stage will be um, going towards the semifinal, which is the first round, uh, the first from group F, and second for Group G will we'll, um, have their next match. And also the first from Group G, second from Group F, third from Group F and fourth from Group G. And also third from Group G and fourth from Group F. Um, just to make things clearer, first from Group F and G will have their, fi- their, their matches going towards uh, the first, second, third and fourth. So for the stage three, we will have the winner winners from group um, um, winners from the group uh, from stage two, 
vying up to final placing for one, two, three, and four. So um, that's how it, it sounds complicated, but um, those sport-minded people, I'm sure they're having uh, a look at this as they were giving an opportunity to three teams from each pool to go into um, um, the, the next stage. Um, up to the finals. Yeah, I think you're right. It is a little bit different to the old win or go home um, format you often see implemented. But I do, I do actually like the sound of that one. You're listening to Pacific Beat on ABC Radio Australia. I'm chatting with ABC journal, journalist Marion Kupo, who is in Cape Town at the moment covering the Netball World Cup. Now, Marion, we had the uh, the Tonga Tala captain Halita Veve on the show last week. Now, Tonga obviously they they ended the the tournament in pretty hot form, um, but she was very clear she didn't want to set the bar too high when she was on our show but in your opinion do you expect do you expect the Tala to to get through to that to that second stage and potentially compete um in the quarterfinals you know when you're asking for my opinion I like that um having said that um I think that Dala will be looking at uh, remaining at their rank at number seven or better um having to go for second and third it's a miracle. And um, the girls are working so hard to get through um, the top four, top five, um, you name it. But having to secure their their rank at number seven or even better than number seven, series six and five. But who knows, you know, um, you know what they say, the show must go on and the show ends when the big lady sings. Well, look, obviously they'll tip things off uh, against Fiji, and, and obviously Fiji uh, are a lower-ranked side. But that being said, do, do you expect um, today's game to, to be competitive, uh, particularly given it's, the, it's obviously the first game, and I imagine there's probably going to be some, some nerves and some nervous energy from both sides? Um, yes, I think the nurse will come with the new recruitment of Monia Gerard. And um, as having said that, Monia Gerard, of course, is is um, well known there in Australia, having represented uh, Australia in three World Cups. This will be her fourth World Cup. So she's the most experienced Tongan player in court tomorrow. And I think Monia Gerard will give that an uh, intimidating um, feeling, um, I guess, to Fiji, and um, it, it, but then again, I'm sure Fiji won't stop at nothing, but they will give it their all also, together with all the other teams that's going to be in court tomorrow. Yeah, you're right about Monia Gerard. I think there's plenty of fans out there who can't wait to see how she goes in that return to uh, to international netball. And I just wanted to ask you about yourself as well, Marion, quickly. You you played for Tonga, I think it was back in, back in 2009. How has this been for you? You? Is, it, is it an emotional occasion as someone who's come through the program and now see them, you know, able to reach these heights? I am um, very emotional when it comes to to netball, as uh, this is this is my passion, and I've been playing since I was in primary school. I've been playing since I was class three back in Tonga, and having to see Dala reach this um, peak of netball in Tonga and all over the world, it's um, it's it, it's compared to nothing. Um, talking from my experience back then, we were all local girls. We didn't have the right training, the right coach. Um, the right diet 
we were um, when we travel, we will sleep in halls, um, in school bunks. And um, yes, you, you know, we didn't have um, the what the Daladim team have now. And having to see Tonga grow rapidly in Nepal in just a few years, um, you know, it's it's a miracle. And all the Tongan people is behind them. And now they, you know, Nepal now is becoming, um, um, it, 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 they're overcoming or they're dominating um, the mindset of sportsmanship back at home. Um, we, we all know that Igalitahi, um, they had their match with Australia A uh, last month. And uh, yes, it, well, it's it, rugby. I can say rugby is, is still a big thing in Tonga, but watch out because I'm sure Nepal will dominate the sport back at home, and which is a great thing for all Nepal fans and also um, former Nepal players like myself. It's great to see uh, the status of Nepal rising back in Tonga, and let's hope the profile can rise even further with a, with a great performance uh, at the World Cup. Marion, that's all we've got time for today. Thank you so much for joining us. Joining us and uh, and have a fantastic time in in Cape Town and and all the best to Tonga and, and to Fiji as well. Thank you very much, Malo Apito. That was ABC journalist Marion Kupo in South Africa covering the Netball World Cup. Tonga and Fiji will open the tournament in about eight hours' time, while New Zealand will play Trinidad and the Australian Diamonds will take on Zimbabwe. It's Friday, July 28, and you're listening to the Friday Sporting Edition of Pacific Beat on ABC Radio Australia. I hope you're looking forward to a great uh, sporting weekend. God knows there is a lot to watch at the moment, and we'll try to touch on all of it as we move through today's show. We'll recap all the action from the Matildas game against Nigeria. We'll also hear from the PNG men's national cricket team, who are closing in on a T20 World Cup qualification. We'll also chat rugby league and hear from PNG's own Marcus by ahead of the Melbourne Storm's 25th birthday. Turning away from sports only for just a moment, though, it's been a busy week in the Pacific with French President Emmanuel Macron visiting the region at the same time as the US Secretary of State and the US Secretary of Defence. Security and geopolitical competition with China has been a common theme in all the visits. As the ABC's foreign affairs reporter Stephen Jedgett explains, it was one of the key points to Emmanuel Macron's speech in Vanuatu yesterday. It was a really strident speech in some ways from Emmanuel Macron, who was really intent on making a point. And that point seemed to be that he views, it seems, China, although it wasn't named directly in his speech, as a real threat to Pacific unity. He made several thinly veiled swipes towards Beijing, talking about a new imperialism, uh, coercion that left smaller and more fragile states vulnerable. Um, and as, like I said, even though he didn't name China directly, it seemed very clearly to echo some of the criticisms that have been made by other Western powers about China's behaviour in the region. Now, he seems to be intent on presenting France as a third path, an alternative to both the United States and China, uh, and, and in particular one that he hopes might appeal to those countries who are uneasy about the growing friction between the two great powers. Now, he says that, Ch- that uh, France is going to commit more money to 
signature initiatives in the region, including development initiatives, deforestation, work on climate change mitigation. Uh, and uh, he's also making it very clear that France has no plans to, uh, to depart the Pacific uh, through its territories, despite the fact that France continues to face serious pushback in both uh, French Polynesia and New Caledonia uh, from, uh, from citizens inside those uh, territories who, who wish for independence. But nonetheless, uh, Emmanuel Macron uh, has a very different vision and one that sees France remaining in some ways in the core of the Pacific. Let's take a listen to what the president had to say and some of the warnings that he issued. And new imperialisms are emerging in the Indo-Pacific, particularly in Oceania. And a logic of power is threatening the sovereignty of many states, the smallest and often the most fragile. High-level U.S. visits as well. What came out of the Defence Secretary's visit to Papua New Guinea? Well, unsurprisingly, the, uh, the U.S. Defence Secretary's visit has been dominated by debate and discussion over the uh, very high-profile and rather contentious defence pact that PNG and the U.S. signed in May. Now, this is a pretty sweeping agreement that seems to, on paper, offer the United States access uh, to uh, a range of military facilities in Papua New Guinea, uh, and there's been a lot of uh, speculation inside Papua New Guinea that it might well see a U.S. military presence in the country, something that some within the country would be very opposed to. So Lloyd Austin, uh, the Defence Secretary on this visit, was very much in reassurance mode, uh, saying in his press conference that the US had no plans for a permanent base and saying the agreement was really about boosting interoperability between the US and PNG, uh, training PNG forces as well as its uh, naval assets to be more effective, including through joint work with the US Coast Guard and refurbishing and developing uh, PNG facilities that have been neglected or, or run down over time. Let's take a listen to what Lloyd Austin had to say, speaking in Port Moresby earlier today. We're not seeking permanent basing in PNG. Uh, this is a fundamental fu a foundational framework to deepen that defense relationship that, again, goes back decades. Uh, so uh, the common values that we have, I think, are really, really important. And, uh, of course, Stephen, the U.S. Secretary of State, Anthony Blinken, has made a stop in New Zealand. Um, any significant developments out of that visit? No hugely significant developments, but it was still really interesting to, to watch Secretary Blinken's visit. And uh, it's also just extraordinary, I guess, in a sense that you have three pretty big heavyweights uh, in the region simultaneously, Lloyd Austin, Emmanuel Macron and Anthony Blinken, all in various capitals around the region uh, on the same day. Uh, look, uh, obviously, both Anthony Blinken and uh, his uh, counterpart, Nanaya Mahuta in New Zealand, made it pretty clear that they have reservations about some of what China is doing in the Pacific. Uh, some of their language around the Solomon Islands uh, security agreement with China was pretty predictable but clear. Both are very deeply uneasy about it. And interestingly, there was also a bit of talk about whether New Zealand might join the AUKUS Pact between Australia, the United Kingdom and the United States. There's been a lot of speculation about it joining not Pillar 1 with the nuclear-powered submarines. After all, New Zealand has a strict policy against nuclear-powered uh, weapons, or nuclear weapons or nuclear propulsion, but potentially Pillar 2, which is that second pillar focused on uh, high-end military technology cooperation. Now, Naimahuta was very, very keen to make it clear that no decisions have been made on this. Cabinet has not yet decided 
decided to press ahead, but she did say it was under discussion. So clearly it's a live question in Wellington right now. Yeah. And all this ahead of Osman talks that are coming up over the next few days in Brisbane, what's the focus likely to be? Yeah, that's right. Anthony Blinken and Lloyd Austin are now both in Brisbane. Uh, they're going to spend the next two days holding talks with uh, Penny Wong and uh, Richard Miles, the Defence Minister and the Foreign Minister. There'll be a big focus on military cooperation and the expanding cooperation that we've seen between the United States and Australia, uh, in particular over the last few years, as the US moves more assets into Australia uh, and as it looks to expand potentially some of its, uh, some of its presence here. And on top of that, I think there's going to be an awful lot of chat and discussion about climate. Last year, uh, the uh, two countries agreed to make climate change a third pillar of the relationship. They've acknowledged that there's a shortfall between what uh, countries of the regions need and have when it comes to actually transitioning their economies away from fossil, fossil fuels and trying to stop the catastrophic impacts of climate change. So it will be interesting to see whether there are any new commitments on that front. The word seems to be there'll be no spectacular announcements out of this uh, meeting, but that might be largely because Anthony Albanese, the Prime Minister, is expected to make a formal state visit to the United States later this year. So any big announcements, I suspect, will be saved up for that trip. ABC's foreign affairs reporter Stephen Jidgetts, and he spoke to the world's Beverly O'Connor. To cricket now, where Papua New Guinea's national men's team are on the brink of qualifying for next year's ICC T20 World Cup. The team is so far unbeaten in the East Asia-Pacific qualifying tournament, which hit off in Port Moresby this week. They've recorded wins against the Philippines, Japan and Vanuatu, and could cement their place as soon as today with another win over the Philippines. They're being coached by Australian Nathan Reardon, who is a former T20 champion in his own right, having played in Australia's Big Bash competition. He's said if P&G gets through, it will only be their second World Cup qualification. Oh, it'd be massive. Yeah, like you said, we, we qualified in 2019 um, and got a little bit disrupted due to COVID and, and the world sort of shutting down a bit. So if we do qualify, it all runs a bit smooth this year and we're off to the yeah World Cup in the West Indies in the USA, which is was June 2024. And to be able to qualify on our home soil would even mean more, I think. Yeah, it definitely has. You've, uh, you've recorded wins uh, against uh, everyone else in the tournament so far. What's the support been like on the ground, given it has been in Port Moresby? Yeah, it's been really good. A couple of local villages aren't far away walking distance, so we've had a pretty good response in the in the grandstands. I've been making plenty of noise, which is nice. So Friday, Saturday, there should be a good turnout at the ground just to support us. And look, Saturday, if we, if we know that we're qualifying, I think it'll be a really, really good turnout. And just for the people listening who don't understand, so uh, obviously you guys, PNG, you're facing Japan, Philippines, Vanuatu. What is the format like? I understand it's a it's a points-based system, so essentially whoever wins the most teams gets through to the World Cup. Uh, is that how it works? Yeah, that's exactly right. So this is the um, there's one going on in Europe at the moment. Um, this is the East Asia Pacific uh, qualifier. So each of the four teams go into their separate qualifiers prior to this um, to, to get a shot at this one. Um, and then, yeah, there's no final. It's just play each other twice. Um, team with the most wins goes through. If there's two teams on the same amount of wins at the end of the tournament, then it goes down to net run rate. So um, like I mentioned earlier, we're in a really good position. We've got a really strong net run rate. We're four from four. So even if we lost our last two games, I think we're um, – yeah, look, I think our net run rate's going to hold us up, but don't want to say um, 
don't don't count my chickens yet. <laughs> I think we just got to um, look at winning one more game, and and then we're guaranteed. So the boys are in pretty, and I think they understand too. They're in pretty good spirits, and and know the know the counter at the end of it. No, that's right. Well, I guess it brings me um, to, to my next question. You're obviously a, a former pro cricketer yourself. You know, it looks like you guys are, are going to make the T20 World Cup. How do you reckon? Um, you know, your boys can compete. Do you, do you think they look like a top twenty side in the world at the moment? Well, yeah, they will be if we qualify. <laughs> um, so, in associate cricket, PNG have certainly showed over the last few years that they're definitely a force. And for them to go to a World Cup and get to potentially play against the likes of India, Australia. It'll just be a good little taste for them. It's definitely going to be a challenge over there playing against those sides because we've seen the amount of resources that all those teams get and PNG don't get those same resources. But, look, there's definitely plenty of talent over here and I think if we do qualify, that's just going to help the 17s and 19s players aspire to be able to go to a World Cup and and play against Australia and England and New Zealand, West Indies, all those all those big nations. Yeah, and look, there has been some some special performances. I saw an article earlier this week. Uh, Kabua Morde he took a, uh, a five wicket hat trick. I think it was against the the Philippines. You mentioned those pathways before. I mean, is there a chance that with more success we could see some PNG cricketers playing in in a competition like the Big Bash or even the the Sheffield Shield or or Marsh One Day competition in Australia? I think there's definitely some hype around cricket. In- Papua New Guinea just since the 2019 qualifying and things did get disrupted a little bit with COVID. But I think definitely a plan moving forward for, for cricket in Papua New Guinea will be just finding finding that new talent across the country and, and really developing their cricket skills and knowledge and so that when the likes of Assad and Tony Ora retire and Charles Amini when they're sort of getting a bit older, we've got a good batch of 19s that are coming through now that um, can easily transition into their spots, I guess. So... Uh, that's the nature of cricket. We all we can't play forever. Um, we all get older and slower. So, um, look, if we can try and develop that over the next few years, I think um, PNG cricket will be in a good spot. PNG T20 men's coach Nathan Reardon speaking to me there. In the Fale is a brand new music show on ABC Radio Australia, hosted by me, Paola Tukefu. I'll be spinning my favourite tunes from dancehall to disco, calypso to country, reggae to roots, and hip-hop to house music, from across the era to keep the kids and the aunties happy. If it has a pumping groove, I'll be bringing it to you to bump you into the weekend. In the Fale, Fridays at 4pm PNG time on ABC Radio Australia. To Rugby League now, where after two weeks off, the PNG Hunters will return to the field on Sunday to face the Brisbane Tigers in the Host Plus Cup. A win would keep the finals hopes alive for the club, who currently sit 11th on the competition table with four rounds to play. But time away from football has not been a good thing for the Hunters this season. You might remember the last time they had an extended break was after round three. They looked good heading into that two-week hiatus, but were thrashed twice upon their return, once by Cairns and again again a week later by Mackay. So there was no R&R this time round for the players. Instead, Coach Stanley Teppen sent them to the one place they couldn't slack off. We learned from those two weeks early on in the season and we found ourselves in a similar situation this time round. So we actually did a few things differently. Last time we actually gave the boys an extended time off, but this time we continued to train and we allowed the boys to go back and play in the Digicel Cup teams, the local semi-professional comp back in PNG, so which is good. A bit physical I mean, the Digicel Cup and the Host Plus Cup, but look, we allowed them to go back just to get a bit of game time and 
and uh, get a bit of football in their legs. And they've come back pretty good. I think they have a couple of sore bodies, which is probably a good thing for us. So come Sunday this week against the Tigers, hopefully they'll, they won't be too far off the mark. Yeah, perfect. Look, speaking of the Brisbane Tigers, you've obviously got them this week, coached by former coach Matt Church as well. Yep. So you guys are currently sitting 11th on the ladder, seven wins. How big is this game in terms of the context of the season with finals, obviously just around the corner? Look, for us, it's, it is it is huge. Uh, sitting 11th, I think 9th, 8th and 10th, um, I think it, it's it's all pretty congested around the, uh, the table, just outside the 8th and, and even 7th place and 8th place, I think. The next two or three games for us and, and those teams sitting around that those spots, I think it's very vital. And for us, even more so because we know how we can play and we know on, on any day when we prepare well and we, we know we can beat any team. So, look, it is huge. And we don't want to over-pressurize our boys. Coach Matt, obviously, he's, a, he's been part of the Hunters last couple of years and he'll know a bit about our boys and how our, our players play. And, and it helps us too. We know how Coach Matt will coach. Um, so we, we know we've got a really good chance going down there and um, upsetting the Tigers. Yeah, I remember last time that you guys played the Tigers in Port Moresby. It was one of the one of the games of the season. Yeah. I think you, you went down by very narrowly by about two points. Just out of these last four games, yeah, you're currently sitting 11th. I, I believe it's top eight that, that makes finals. How many do you probably need to win to give you the best chance. Yeah, it is top eight. I'd say three out of four would, would be would be comfortable for us. I think, but we wanna we wanna obviously win all, all four, and which will put us in a, in a good position to make that top eight. And that's how our season has been. Like I think last time we played the Tigers in Port Mosby, you know, it came right up to to the to the last couple of couple of minutes. And we, we just went down. And, and against Burley Bears, too, it just came down to the last couple of minutes. We had a draw against South Logan Magpies in, in round two. We've had some narrow games where we could have done well. And that's how our season's been. Look, we've matched the top teams. It's been good for us to be based back in, in Port Mosby as well. But those narrow wins could have made the difference for us where we could have set our season up better. In saying that, we know what we are about and how we can play. And if you said as a... Um, at a more, as a motivation uh, throughout the week that you know any any team we know that we can match it and we can we can beat them. Well, with Junior Rop coming back into the lineup, that will no doubt help. I want to ask you quickly about a couple of other uh, PNG boys who had some good news this week: Sylvester Namu and uh, and Liam Horn. I understand they've both signed in the English Super League. Is that right? Yes, they have. Yeah, Casper Tigers have uh, have signed them up. I think Sylvester uh, was first to sign last week, and he, he's, he was currently at the Blackhawks, uh, Townsville Blackhawks, and Liam Horn just this this week. That, that's really exciting. I think Nixon put, you know, who's been part of the Kumos for the last few years, and. Um, and has, has been an integral part of the team. He's also signed, I think he was last month uh, from the Capras. He plays down at the Capras, so, which is good. You know, the, the more players we can get playing each week in the Super League or the NRL at a, at a higher level, I think that's what we need. You know, having that weekly competitive edge each week will we, we'll come back and help us. And when, then you mix that with the Hunters boys and, and uh, other local players that are playing in the Post Plus Cup. It's, it's really promising. We've already got a large number of Kumuth boys over in England. Uh, Edwin Epape, Lachlan Lamb, and Mackenzie A, and, and a few others that have uh, been part of the World Cup just, just last year. 
uh, they're over there as well. So it's, it's really exciting. I think we've got a couple of test matches towards the end of the year and, and the PM's 13 uh, game coming up. Not sure if those England-based players will make that PM's 13 because of obviously the, the, the travel and uh, their season may not finish uh, in time for that. So uh, in line with the NRL boys. So look, it, it's really promising for PNG Kumuls and uh, NRL bid application. Yeah, absolutely. Dan Russell was another one, uh, another PNG boy whose yes. name popped up in recent weeks. I believe he made his debut for, was it the Dragons? Yeah, he, he's uh, with the Dragons. He played this, I think he had his second game last week. Uh, came off the bench the week before against the uh, Warriors, I believe. And then, uh, and then yeah, started in the second row last weekend. He's been in the system. He's about 27, 28 now. So he started his NRL career late. But, you know, that's another exciting. I think Jacob Alec from the Burley Bears, he played with the Gold Coast Titans. So he's been in their system for a couple of years. So that he's getting a run in the first grade as well. So it's been really good in that aspect. And look, I must say it's pretty good for the Kumuls, for those for those guys to play in the in the top competition in the in the, in the world. It's great to see so many Kumuls playing uh, such high level footy in Australia and England. That was Hunter's coach and PNG national coach Stanley Tepen speaking with me there. Meanwhile, the Kaiviti Silk Tails will be in action again uh, as well on Sunday in the final round of the Ron Massey Cup. They'll have to beat top place St Mary's College to keep their finals hopes alive. And also, a quick shout out to Hunter's forward Sherwin to Nabi, who has unfortunately tore his ACL and will miss the next 12 months of football. We had him on the show earlier this year. He's a great young talent, and we hope to see him healthy again soon. Let's stay on Rugby League, where there's been a lot of talk about expansion lately as Papua New Guinea tries to secure their own NRL team. Now, there's been much debate as to whether or not the country could support a team in Australia's top grade. However, back in 1998, a very similar debate was raging about a team in Melbourne. Many thought it was a bad idea, given the city was cold and was better known for a different code of football. But this weekend, that team will celebrate its 25th birthday in the competition. I'm talking, of course, about the Melbourne Storm, who entered the NRL in 1998 and won their first premiership less than a year later. PNG's own Marcus Byer was a of course, a part of that famous squad, and he'll be in Melbourne this weekend when the club celebrates its special milestone at home against Parramatta. Here's what he remembers from that special period. Part of me, obviously, I was here with the Gold Coast Chargers uh, in 97, and then uh, the person who opened up, opened up this conversation for me, for me, was Bob Bennett, that's uh, Wayne, Wayne Bennett's um, uh, younger brother, who was the current, uh, during the term, he was the current Kumul coach. And he was a he was a policeman in in Lay in Papua New Guinea, and he was coaching a, a local club there, Lay Bombers, which is now called Lay Snacks Tigers. And he opened. We had a really good relationship, and um, he looked after me in all different ways of um, you know me coming here. He he basically took me under the wing as a as a little brother or a son to him, and and um, you know Bob Bob opened up that conversation, said to me. Hey, mate, how are you going with the, the Gold Coast Chargers? And I said, no, they told me that I'm not in their plans for 1998. So I'll go back to Papua New Guinea and join back my teammates in Mosby and maybe play from there. And he said to me, hang on, just talking to Wayne. And he said, there's a club studying in Melbourne and John Rebo and Chris Jones are heading this with News Limited. And that would be a good opportunity for you if you want to go. And I said, I said to him, I said, Bob, I don't care where I go. I said, as long as I can play rugby league. Is that the ARL? And I said, yeah, ARL and Super League will 
amalgamate and it will be called National Rugby League for 1998 season. And I said, well, I'm in if, if anyone is interested. Anyway, that was the start of the conversation. And, uh, and then comes July. Obviously, the 31st of June was the, the date where any players during the time can talk to other clubs. And July came in and Bob said to me, I'm bringing uh, Chris Jones. He's the CEO for the new club, Melbourne Storm. We sat down, had a coffee, and they gave me a contract. And he said, do you want to come to Melbourne for two years? And I said, well, where else am I going to go? I said, or else I'll be going back to Papua <laughs> Guinea and start and uh, continue my old, my, my old palm plantation and coconut plantation. And, uh, and, he, and he said to me, he said, do you want to come? And I said, yeah, I'll come. And he said, well, have a look at the contract. Bob Bennett opened the contract and said to me, just sign here. If you want, don't worry about the figures. So I said, that's enough for you to live on. <laughs> that's how Bob, that's how Bob operates. And, uh, and I said, yep, I'll sign. And Chris Jones stopped, stopped us and he said, Hey, just bring, send it to, send it to your brother or someone in your family and have a, have a look at it. That's what we did. And I said, look, I'll verbally, I'll verbally, I'll say, yes, I'll come to Melbourne. And uh, when I agreed, Chris Jones said to me that there's two other players who've already agreed is Glenn Lazarus and Tower Nikau. And I said, Oh, Oh, that's great. I said, I've, I love this place and um, to be able to, you know, be in the same club will be really good for me. And he said, yep, they're all signed and we're getting a lot of uh, Western Reds boys and, and other players and Hunter Marina boys to be able to come with us. So I was excited. The rest is now history from in full credit to Wayne and, and Bob Bennett and their family for supporting me. Yeah, it's incredible uh, how it all came together. It's really interesting to me that you actually knew of, of AFL, which is the Australian Football League, for the listeners who don't know what that means, which is a different code of football, which is obviously the dominant code in Melbourne. So you yes. obviously had a good impression of Melbourne, but what, what did your teammates think of Melbourne? Because many of those boys would have come from clubs like the Hunter Mariners who had just been axed you know, during the Super League Wars. Were they excited to play there? The opportunity was, you know, the, 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 during the early days was a lot of us playing in reserve grade had an opportunity to play in first grade coming to a, coming to a new club. And for those boys, you know, coming from Hunter Mariners, obviously Newcastle was the, you know, the big boys and, you know, and, um, you know, Brett Kimoli, Richard Swain, uh, John Carlo, and all these players. Uh, Paul Market was an ex-Newcastle to Hunter Mariners. And all that. So it was an opportunity. I mean, those players that I mentioned, the whole market was a regular first grade. And some of us were, you know, playing recent grade and just made it up as 25-year-olds. But, you know, every one of us came in a different different way of an opportunity for us to be able to make the first grade. And I think that season of 98, you know, a, a lot of um, a lot of experts in rugby league and ex-players who just finished, you know, said, oh, you know, Melbourne Storm was a, was a team of, of, of the recent grade players. And for us, for us, it, we didn't care about that. For us, it was an opportunity for us to make the first grade. And for me, it's an opportunity for me to make the first grade and, and represent my country, to be honest. And, and, I, and I saw that there wasn't, yeah, there, there weren't any Papua New Guineans. And, and what I mean is the local, local homebred Papua New Guineans who come from the village and born and bred in Papua New Guinea to be able to make it. For me, it was a really exciting time for me to be able to say, hang on. I can make something and my family, my seven other brothers and two sisters really supported me. And the dad said to me, it's a good chance, good chance for you to make a name for yourself and, and representing our family and, and, and our province and of course our country. So, so we'll be good for you. Just go in there. Don't worry about what people say. Just go in there and put your head down. 
It's funny, you mentioned that, you know, you were very much a trailblazer uh, for Papua New Guinea players, and that's so true. Like, I know for me personally, I'm an Australian, but me watching you as a 12-year-old, my, it was my dad who, who told me about you and that you were from Papua New Guinea. <laughs> and in some ways, that was my introduction to, to PNG. Obviously, I know a lot more about the country <laughs> now working as a, as a Pacific journalist, but I want to uh, talk about the fans quickly, because they, they jumped behind you so quickly in Melbourne, why do you think that was, and how come you guys were able to gel as a team so so easily? The amount of um, I shouldn't say it's a pressure. The amount of um, because my a lot of my brothers play rugby league and AFL and Union, that the knowing of the game and the and, and the fully fully smart of the game, they had it as well to be able to to support me during my early days as a twenty five year old, but. I'll say the stretch marks of, of my footy was way, way behind than a, a 20-year-old Scott Hill or, you know, Matt Guy, a 20-year-old, um, and Brett Kimoli and all those players. They've been go, they've gone through the junior development from, say, under-6 and mm. up to up to under-12 and under-13s to under-19, and they made it within their own rights. Well, I didn't have that. Steve Anderson and, and Gregory Brennell, you know, they were the one behind the, the closed doors to, to coach me in terms of, okay, you're doing this right. And you, you're doing this wrong. You shouldn't. This is not our system. This is the way. But you're doing this the way. And then these are the three things or two things. Go and do this. And and I went on from there. So, you know, from the Melbourne fans, and I think it's just the way the Papua New Guinea in back, back home is. You know, we play the game differently in terms of we want to run hard and 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 smash people. And that was the perception of we. And and then when I started playing, I obviously was on TV. In the early days of the first four or five games, the media in Papua New Guinea wasn't social media, but the post Korea and, and people, you know, my brother ringing me up every Monday to check on me uh, from his work and said, how are you going? So the amount of support from the country is really big. The politicians and everyone from grassroots level are talking about you, the way you're doing things, keep it up and and give us more on the weekend. So it was sort of, it was sort of like a week to week of, my my big brother telling me the good things and the bad things and and for me to do it better and better every week and you know I think looking back at it now you know it's it's, it's not only for me to come up and 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 see and, and to meet the old fellows but these but uh, the old boys but as well uh, you know it's a it's a mark of uh, thank you as well to my family who who really inspired me during the early days I had three boys now they look at it and say you know that that's our club. We, we were part of it, and uh, that's special for me. Oh, absolutely. And, and look, I do want to touch on the success a little bit. You guys made the preliminary final in your first year and then did you know the unthinkable the following year by winning that famous 1999 premiership. Were, were people in shock after you won that, and what do you remember from it? In Papua New Guinea, um, uh, during the time that obviously winning the grand final, uh, a lot of people didn't think that we were going to win it. Uh, obviously, through the finals, we we got smashed by St. George Illawarra in in the first uh, first final, and um, and then we came back after that, and and the club changed a couple of things. And probably the biggest boost for us is '99 when the club made a decision to bring Stephen Kenny in, and and I think I think the '99 season Stephen Kenny made a lot of difference in in terms in our club that with his combination with him and. Robbie Rose and, and his leadership, when you look at it in the first two years, is with Graham Lazarus, with 
had a lot of uh, a lot of experience in the finals and obviously state of origin for New South Wales and Australia and Thawara Nikau, uh, New Zealand, and as well Stephen Kenny. And then we have uh, Robbie Kens and Rodney Howe behind that and a couple of boys who played state of origin, Robbie Rose and Brett Kimoli. That experience and not forgetting, you know, this person is 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 a hub is a hub of defense and hard work is uh, Paul Marquette and uh, he's a special special person within the first two years of how we train and we learn we learn a lot from him and we never been like him but the way he conduct himself in training and in training in working hard is you see he'll never be forgotten in our club within the boys the old boys is how and and why the club is so successful in the early days. Well, look, I can say just from my own personal standpoint, I'll never forget uh, that grand final win. It, it is seared into my brain. Everything from that that Nathan Blacklock try, um, which is still probably the most incredible try I've ever seen, right right up until you know poor old Craig Smith um, getting knocked out and, and winning you the game with that with that penalty try. How you're obviously going to be seeing your teammates this weekend. You're flying down with Matty Guy. How close is your bond? Twenty five years on, really close. To answer the question, uh, with the with the Melbourne Storm Queensland boys here, um, I mean, Matt Guy and I obviously spent six years uh, with Melbourne, and there's never been a separation of, of anything uh, within within uh, within within us players. The bond the bond for us in the early days is is really really special, and I know that with with 25 years 25 years now within the players uh, within the players itself. Uh, I think the bond is stronger than 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 ever. I think, and and for the players who came uh, behind us, uh, that's even a stronger bond bond for them, and to be able to respect, uh, and we as well to respect uh, respect the, the the younger players who came behind us and and did something special for the club and winning how many what another four, five, or, or six grand finals to have been taken out, but that's something special. We look at it as they are all grand finals through, through hard work, um, through Craig Bellamy's um, um, uh, time, time, time there, time there in, in Melbourne. And um, you, you'll never take that away from us um, and, and from those players. And that's special times for, for every, every one of us to be able to go back, celebrate those, celebrate those moments, uh, being togetherness and being as a family, uh, family to and our kids have now followed those clubs that uh, Melbourne that we've we um, we've started, we've involved with our wives and 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 families um, and even in Papua New Guinea, um, um, a, a lot of people, a lot of people in Papua New Guinea, since they started with you know obviously me being you know we were, we were the start of Melbourne Storm, they have not met. They have never left. They've never left Melbourne Storm, and it's been Justin Olam um, making his name now. You know, it's it's become a rock solid, rock solid supporters in in Melbourne, uh, in Papua New Guinea for for the club. So, you know, you talk about nine million people there, and I bet you more than seventy percent or sixty percent of them support support uh, Melbourne Storm because of of Justin and I being involved in the club. 
Yeah, they had truly have been a fantastic club. PNG's rugby league great Marcus By reflecting on the early days of the Melbourne Storm, who will celebrate their 25th birthday this weekend. It'll be, it will be great to see him back in Melbourne where he had so many electrifying moments. And that brings us to the end of Pacific Beat today. We will be back at the same time on Monday. That's 6am PNG time. You can also hear us again this afternoon at 3pm PNG time. Stay tuned to ABC Radio Australia because the news is next. You'll find all our top stories on our website. Again, I'm Kyle Evans. Have a fantastic sporting weekend.